The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I am your host, Andy Compton. And today on the show, we have a very special guest, and his name is Nabil Chowdhury. Now, Nabil is an Australian-based writer-director who... I He came on my radar in 2019 when he won the ScreenCraft sci-fi competition with his screenplay Pod. Um, I saw like this little snippet of a podcast that they put out on their social media screen crafted and it was like a video where they interviewed Nabil and, uh, it, it just really intrigued me. He sounded like a smart writer and I liked the concept of his feature. Uh, so I reached out to him on Instagram. I DM'd him and he was very nice to me and we've kind of been like friendly since, but this is the first time that we've actually had a real conversation. Uh, and it was a pleasure. He's uh, he's a really smart writer. He's working at a professional level now. Uh, he is repped. Uh, he has projects that are in like different stages of development, which is pretty awesome. And he is also just a very nice guy. So it was cool to talk to him. Uh, want to let you know that if you are enjoying the podcast and you want to donate, you can do that at the Linktree link in our social media at Social Writer Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, really appreciate it if you can. If you can't, not a big deal. Uh, I know how it goes. And also, guys, I want to tell you about our friends over at the Finish Line Script Competition. Now in its sixth year, the Finish Line Script Competition is currently open for regular submissions. The competition offers six-plus pages of script development notes that allow you, the writer, to rewrite and resubmit new drafts for free throughout the competition. Finish Line wants you to be judged on the best draft possible and will help you improve your script. Winners and select semifinalists meet over 45 top TV and film industry mentors, real meetings with agents, managers, producers, and executives who have read your script and are interested in being involved in developing your career. You can submit today at Coverfly, Film Freeway, or Network ISA and get your script in the hands of industry professionals tomorrow. You can also visit them at finishlinescriptcomp.com. And with that, guys, let's go ahead and jump into the show. Guys, we're here with Nabil Chowdhury, and uh, thanks for being here today, man. Well, thanks for having me, Andy. It's so good to finally speak to you after all this time of admiring your great Photoshop work and your fantastic jokes on Twitter. So thanks for having me, man. Oh, man, you're going to build up my ego right off the bat? That's maybe a mistake. No, it's a pleasure to meet you, man. I don't know if you remember this, but our very first interaction was me DMing you on Instagram right after you right. won ScreenCraft Sci-Fi. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I remember vividly. Yeah. Oh, do you really? Okay, cool. Because at the time, like, I wasn't like a Twitter person or anything, and I always wondered mm -hmm. if you kind of remembered that interaction. Because to me, at that time, I was like, "Oh, Nabil's like a shooting star," and I'm like a nobody, <laughs> just trying to write these specs. And yeah, you were very nice to me. You've always been nice to me. So yeah. It's awesome to finally meet, man. Uh, so you're in Australia. That's right. Yeah, I'm in Melbourne. Um, I'm in Melbourne, Australia. I've been here for about four years. It's, it's a cool city. It's a really cool place. It's a foodies town, I'd say. Mm. Um, 
But just to go back to the first interaction we had, I remember it distinctly because it was one of the first um, times somebody messaged on Coverfly to mm -hmm. to read the script. I think you sent a request through, but I didn't yeah. see it till months and months later because I'm I don't really keep up with stuff. Um, yeah, and so I, I went on there and I saw. And then you sent me a DM. I think it was probably maybe on Instagram or I'm not sure where it was. I think it was. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, oh, really? And, and I had a lot of requests for the script and it was um, with the agents at the time and doing the option thing and, and going to production houses. So I was like, I can't send it out right now, yeah. but I know everybody's reading it on the black blacklist um, stuff was coming out and all that type of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it, it was, it was cool. And that's how we got to know you. And then I started to admire, like I said before, your superb uh, Photoshop skills. So oh, yeah, man. Um, yeah. Thank you, man. It's uh, it's <laughs> definitely my 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 number one dream is the Photoshop thing, and then screenwriting right behind that. So I'm chasing, <laughs> it, I'm chasing the dream there. Yeah. Uh, cool, man. So let's just hop right into it, man. Uh, sure. How'd you get into screenwriting, Nabil? Yeah. So um, you know, like everyone always says in your podcast, which is a fantastic podcast, by the way. Great, great oh, set of guests you. beforehand. Really been enjoying it. Um, Appreciate. You know, always had a passion for it. I guess people say. Um, mm -hmm. And then about, I would say about six or seven years ago, I started to take it really, really seriously because uh, you know, life things things happen in life, and you're just like, look, I want to dedicate time to this instead of wasting uh, away not doing what I what I have a passion for. Mm -hmm. You know, I think with all people especially with kids, your storytellers, when you're playing with your little figurines at home, when you're yep. kids, you know, it starts totally. off about yep. making up stories and stuff. And when I was playing with my cousins and stuff, with my um, X-Men figurines and He-Man and Thundercats, they um, were trying to like smash them to bits. And now they're trying to put together delicate scenes and dialogue <laughs> between, and like you know, death scenes and epic stuff, you know? And I thought, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. And as a kid, I used to watch, you know, the, TV and the VHS set was my um, was my babysitter. Right? Parents used to be busy doing stuff, and I used to I was like five or six, and I had what Nightmare on Elm Street, Terminator, and Aliens, and I had some oh, hardcore man. stuff for a five year old, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you look at it; it's interesting when you look at it unrated as a child, or certainly what the situation was for me. You sort of look at it from a different perspective, and you, you, you sort of you know it's not real and you're intrigued by it and you want to know how they do it and you want to know how it all works. Yeah. And so you fast forward, you know, 30 years or so, and I've always wanted to make films. I wanted to direct, direct films, mm -hmm. but it's too expensive and the cheapest option, the cheapest way to make a film or to get a story across is to write it. So I figured I'd give that a shot. It sounds a bit uh, naive, but that was the only way that I knew how mm -hmm. to do it. So I, I just um, got into it that way. And um, yeah, it's, it's been a great ride ever since. Yeah, man, that's that's great, man. Like everything that you said there, you're like telling my life story, because honestly, like I was the same way, like playing with, uh, you know, my Ninja Turtles figures or my WWF, well, now WWE uh, wrestling right. action figures. And I would always be building. I didn't know at the time. I didn't realize at the time. But looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I was building like full on storylines that were going yeah. on and interweaving with each other and i probably like you said you know i wasn't just clashing them together but rather like a scene where it's like his mother died and like you know like <laughs> exactly he's, yeah he's feeling that pain and he can't look his father in the eye and like blah 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 anyway just like uh way too deep for a kid and then when you were talking about your movie selection as a kid i was the same way i think that's like my mom was just very she's a big horror fan 
And she was yeah. very cool. I think because I was the third of three boys, uh, by the time right. I came around, she had kind of just given up. She was like, they're going to, they're going to watch R rated movies at their friend's house. You know, they're going to do this. They're going to yeah. do that. So like, I'm not going to put up that much of a fight against those things that are relatively harmless. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the worst thing that came from that was me having nightmares, which, you know, uh, yeah, of course. Well, wasn't the end of the world, but yeah, nightmare on Elm street scream, uh, like yeah, said, alien, aliens. Yeah. Scream really kicked things off for me in a big way. Um, was that, was that, was that your thing that think really got you into it? Was it like that made you go, Oh, you know what? I I'm really, cause I, I, I remember watching scream as a kid as well and just had it on repeat for about six months. Yes. It was always on, t- on, I had it on the VHS and it just ran it completely out. Yeah, I think it was like, um, so the very first horror movie that I saw was, um, and it's kind of a movie, but it's technically a mini series was the made for TV version of it, uh, Stephen King's it. And, um, we recorded that on a VHS as it played on TV. So we had it forever. And, um, I was like four years old when I saw that and it straight up traumatized me, dude. Like I was so scared of it. However, I couldn't get enough of it. Like, sure. I remember being like six, seven years old, like in my neighborhood and me and my best friend, John, at the time, we would like go to this big sewer opening. That's like a few houses down from where we grew up. And we would like yeah. walk as far as we could inside it, like searching for it is what we would think we were doing, you know? So like, yeah, the love for movies and horror characters came deep even at four. But then when I was like nine or 10 is when I saw Scream. And that was when I was starting to go to Blockbuster every week and I would always go in the horror section. And that's when I got schooled on all the Texas Chainsaws, all the Friday the 13th, (laughs) all the Nightmare on Elm Streets. Like I couldn't get enough of them, you know? So I would just check them out (laughs) one at a time. Like Nightmare 1, awesome. Go back, get Nightmare 2, come home, watch it, get Nightmare 3. And uh, yeah, I was a big horror kid. That that reminds me of the same situation um, going into the the video store and just being obsessed with the way that the posters and the video covers looked. So I had no idea what the films were about. I couldn't reach them because I was too short and too small, mm-hmm. but I knew that the blob looked, can we swear on the podcast by the way? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. The blob, the blob looked fucking crazy. I was like, what is happening to this guy's face right now on, on, yeah. on the, you know, the picture and stuff. And um, I remember it. that was, that was weird. And then it's, it's funny, the, the, the purity of a child's uh, perception of film, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, if you hand over the film to, to a young child and say, well, this is not real. This is just make-believe. It's, don't have to be scared about it. And then I always talk about this when I have meetings in general as we talk about favorite films and sci-fi. But I recall watching The Terminator as a really young kid. And my interpretation of it wasn't this, this crazy cyborg killing people. What actually, what actually resonated with me was the love story between Kari's and Sarah Connor. That's mm-hmm. what resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And for me, it wasn't a horror. It was a very tragic love story. Yeah. And so much so that it affected me that as a child, I would switch off. I would turn off the ending, spoilers, uh, before mm-hmm. Kyle Reese dies, because I mm-hmm. couldn't understand as a child how the, the protagonist would die in a story. But of course, being a young boy, I didn't realize that Sarah Connor was a protagonist and she was the one that was going to save the day. Sure. And it's, it's so funny how those early interactions with films and, and stories can affect somebody later on in life. And certainly to this day, when I'm writing, uh, has, has uh, to bring it all back together again, yeah. has certainly um, you know, pushed me in that direction. So yeah, it's, it's really cool how that, how that happens. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. Yeah, it's funny. I, I've thought about this before, you know, whenever you think about like 
And I'm not sure how you grew up, but for me, it was very much like, you know, boys don't cry type of uh, childhood, you know, be tough, you know, don't be a wimp. And, uh, and I lived that to, for the most part. However, like, I remember like getting upset sometimes being like, why do movies sometimes affect me so deeply, you know? And I would like cry Mm -hmm. watching a movie and I had older brothers and shit. So I'd be like uncomfortable. Like, I hope they don't see me crying, you know, because they're going to give me shit or whatever. And, um, and just that bullshit that a lot of young boys, I feel like it's starting to change a little bit, but it'll always be there. But the bullshit young boys have to deal with of, you know, basically have zero emotions your entire life, you know, like hold it all in. Um, and now it's funny though, in my mid twenties, when I started really being like, I think I'm going to give this screenwriting thing a go. Um, I started realizing like, holy shit, that's actually almost like a superpower that I didn't even know I had because not every, uh, if if you're a screenwriter of any, you know, of any merit, you know what I mean? Like if you're meant to write, then you're Mm -hmm. probably someone who has a lot of empathy, like can really deeply feel empathy. And, uh, that's kind of the gift that we all have. And I wonder how many other male screenwriters can kind of relate with that too of, um, you know, those bullshit norms of growing up and masculinity and things. And then realizing later Uh when they have the writing bug, like, Oh man, that's actually a special thing that I have. Yeah, no, you're, you're definitely right. It is. And I think it comes down from, from the mentality of obviously not to get too deep into like, parental stuff and, and whatnot but sure my father always said like don't give a damn what anyone thinks if you like something or if you want to do something it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks mm-hmm. and so i was there front row as a as a teen watching titanic and bawling of course it was who wasn't uh-huh. when yeah. leo get in and kate winslet me up you know in heaven at the end of course you're gonna cry you're gonna yeah. cry bucket loads because it's otherwise a you story. have a young little sociopath on your hands and that's not good right either. exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah and and you know For sure. i think that goes and you, you've touched upon something else there is that it's this idea of others looking at you when you're younger and, and mm. thinking about, well, what, are, what do others think? And that kind of translates into what happens a lot on Twitter, where you have somebody who, who will be like, oh, man, I love uh, Marvel films. That, they're crazy. And then you have the sort of the pretentious overlords of, of film going, you like Marvel? What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Isn't, who gives a shit what you think? I mean, if I like it, then I like it, right? Yeah. And it's that kind of, you, you see it in real time sometimes on Twitter where someone goes, well, I don't really like it. I just, you know, I, I just, and I'm transported to seeing friends at high school where friends of people are bullying each other saying, oh, you like that song? You like that that CD or you like that film? What are you, a nerd? And yeah. I don't know, man, it's, it's just, it's all very toxic. And I think, yeah, crying is fine. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and liking what you like is fine. Uh, personally, I just haven't, I was never much of a comic book kid. So I didn't have like the love that a lot of people have for Marvel these days. Mm-hmm. But I try my best to never talk shit on anything like that. Because like, you know, the dumb movies that I love, that everyone, uh, many people hate. And it's like, right. I don't even care. I don't need you to like the movie. I just need you to not give me shit. Because literally, like, who cares what movie anyone likes or what show or music or whatever. Um, yeah, that's, it, it's, it's very weird. And it's even weirder too, when the people who are the harshest critics of entertainment are not creators themselves. Sure. Um, and that always kind of boggles my mind. Cause again, for me, it's like, I wish I could make something that has the impact that Marvel seems to have on its fans, you know, Absolutely. where they're entranced by the lore of it all yeah um it's it's a gift man uh life is so 
hard. <laughs> it seems like every year it's getting harder and harder just to be a human on this planet. And uh, yeah. yeah, find your escapes. You know, it's it's a good oh, thing. Listen, it's it's for me. I used to read a lot of comic books as a kid. Mm-hmm. They were my friends as, ch- as a child, and mm-hmm. to see to see the world embrace them as I did as a youngster, and, mm-hmm. and still do to this day. It's just wonderful to see. I love the law. I, I follow every film. I'm there, you know, um, premiere night every night when the yeah. new film comes out. I love it. But at the same time, I sit there and I write sort of grounded sci-fi. Uh-huh. And I watch things like, and I noticed you've got a Parasite poster on your wall. Yeah. One of my yeah. favorite films. Nothing to do with superheroes or comics. But yeah. I can love both and enjoy both and, and not, not let it uh, affect me or, or it shouldn't bother anybody else, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um yeah, it's all it's all very silly when especially Twitter just has the potential to be, you know, the most toxic <laughs> thing uh, to ever be brought into humanity. But um, anyway, Sorry. enough about that. We're kind of trailing off here. Uh, I'm going to get us back yeah. on track. Usually here I would ask if a screenwriter is repped, but I know that you're repped and you're mm. managed at writ large and then you have an agent at Verve. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the ScreenCraft um, competition. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that came through. That was a great, great win. I was really happy with it all. And about mm-hmm. eight hours after that was announced on Twitter, see, the good thing of Twitter was that somebody retweeted that. And my manager now saw it and he was like, oh, that's interesting. And then he, he messaged me a few hours after that was announced and said, hey, can I read your script? Incidentally, I'd already seen... Um, his name's Bash from Rip Large. I'd already seen that he'd represented somebody else from a ScreenCraft uh, um, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got quite a big following. So I thought, this guy's South Asian. We share the same sort of sensibilities and, and ideas. Mm-hmm. It would be really good if he messaged me. And he did. So it kind of really worked out. Um, he liked the script. We got together. We started to work together. And then about a month or two later, he sent the script to Verve and Dave Boxbaum, Sarah Nestor over there. Really good, strong agents. Dave Mm -hmm. known uh, for his um, script selling, spec selling skills. And Sarah is just a real powerhouse when it comes to representing her her clients. Mm -hmm. And um, they sort of said, look, do you want to jump on board? Of course, great company. Mm -hmm. Um, And then about a month or two after that, I was... uh, flying out to LA for, for my first batch of generals. So it was, it was a very quick thing that happened, very quick turnaround. And in between that time, I got this lovely DM from a guy called Andy saying, Hey, can I read your script? And uh, (laughs) that's where the story really starts, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's what I like to think. That's where your career kicked off when I sent you a little DM. Uh, I like to think everyone I talk to their life really begins whenever I enter. Um, it's super yeah, not healthy. Absolutely. My therapist says um, I need medication, but it's 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 fine. I think it's okay. No, uh, that was 2019, correct? 2019, yeah, 2019. Screencraft sci-fi. Yeah, that's right. 2019 screen sci-fi. 2019, and then after I came back from all the generals, and that was in November, there was some talk of some some virus that was started up in Asia at the time, and no one was too sure what it was. Mm. Um, and then December hit blacklist came and then january came and then the world stopped so what an interesting time it's, yeah it's, it's, to, been crazy. it's been crazy yeah um so what was that like going out to la like how long did you stay there around how many generals mm-hmm. do you think you took um i think that would be interesting for non-la people 
I'm, I'm actually yeah. selfishly asking this for me because that's the case yeah. I'm going to be in is flying out from St. Louis, doing whatever I need to do. Uh, I recently was repped. So my yeah. reps were saying, uh, you know, you can right now, especially during COVID, you can stay in St. Louis. Um, just mm-hmm. plan to maybe fly out two or three times a year. And, you know, uh, and that's I, I would imagine that's if I'm lucky and things are going pretty well, you know. But yeah, anyway, what was that like for you? No, so congratulations on, on Epicenter. Oh. That's that's a great, great company, and you're doing good stuff. Um, Thank and I you heard so much. In the last podcast, uh, I think you were talking with Dave, or maybe yeah. it was also with Edith. How how you had such a strong connection with your with your manager, and that's so important. And I think that will yeah. help them get that script out and believing in you and getting out to as many execs as possible to have those meetings. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, obviously, I'm I'm from the other side of the world. I'm nowhere near LA, Hollywood. This is a it's a distant dream, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what my management team said to me was, "Look, we can set up a bunch of uh, you know generals for you. Um, can you come out roughly in in this sort of time? It was late October, early November. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get a ticket out there. We'll see how it goes. Get an Airbnb. Mm-hmm. I'll be there for two weeks. I said, okay, come out for two weeks. Do you think?" Mm-hmm. So I flew out there, nice, you know, 15, 16 hour flight, got there. Um, and then straight away, first day, uh, my first general was with Stampede. That was a great, great meeting. They'd arranged, it was wonderfully sort of arranged. It was, it was more than I could ask for in the sense of their assistants had arranged about 40 generals in two weeks. So sometimes mm. I'd have three, four, five back to back, I had to jump to jump across town wow. um, through, uh, through Ubers and stuff just to meet, meet them. And Andy, when I say this, this is no exaggeration. It was never a chore. It was uh-huh. never, I was never like going, oh, I can't be bothered to, no, it was, I'm walking into Paramount. I'm walking into Fox. I'm walking into, you know, all these companies, bad robot, right? Yeah. That, you, that you look at the screen and go, I would give anything to walk into those gates, you know, yeah. and just to talk to somebody. And, Such and a so, privilege. Yeah, it was it was incredible. And yeah. Normally, I'm not I'm not like a, a picture on my phone type of guy. I don't like do streaming or anything like that. But sure. you better believe that when I was going through those gates or when I was going in those lobbies, the video was on, the pictures were on, because I just didn't know if this was ever going to happen again. And if this was as good as it was ever going to get, not that I yeah. wanted to be. Yeah. I'm gonna remember it because this is this is like a dream from a small kid in a small town in England to be here. No yeah. way. Like I'm not gonna forget this. You know. Dude, that is um, amazing. But but the, the generals themselves, it, they were fantastic. You just speak about the script, about yourself, what you want to do, what, what mm-hmm. they're doing, mm-hmm. very basic stuff. Um, yeah. But what I got from that was there were two major things that I got from that. The first was that to connect with those execs and to, to make friendships with those execs was mm-hmm. so important because even to this day, I still email and have conversations with them about upcoming projects, about potentially working together on other things that I've seen or that I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, but also is, is to get back to your, your management team at the end of it all. And we sit down, they had like f- files of files of email emails they've had with those same execs after the meetings mm-hmm. and so they would talk about okay well this is what you spoke about we know how the meetings went and mm-hmm. so they talk to you about that and and the, the conversations you had and, and the relationships that you created mm-hmm. and I thought that was so so important to learn for future reference how to navigate these conversations and how to sort of spot where the conversations are going mm-hmm. and how to assert yourself correctly to be in consideration for things like open writing assignments mm-hmm. or just to, to keep it as a general and not to push for something where you know the company who does 
you know, action comedies. Doesn't want to talk to you about your hard sort of hereditary esque horror script, right? Sure. And uh, and so it, it really helped the whole thing. It was <clears throat> a few of those um, meetings, as I said, about forty of them. But they were so valuable. Each of them, you learn so much from them. So I hope that you have the same sort of joy that I did when you when you get across. Yeah, man, what a beautiful way to look at it too. Trying to really soak it in and. Remember, I think that you're looking at your career in the industry from a really realistic place, which how old are you? I'm 33, almost 34. 37. 37. I knew we were close in age. Um, yeah. yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I one thing I'm glad about, um, I knew a guy who out of film school uh, just was really popping off of a short film that he made. And he got to go to Hollywood and he made a feature with like a couple known actors and he was just right. hot shit in town. And within like a year or two, um, it all fell apart. And yeah. he unfortunately came back to St. Louis and uh, didn't really get that shot again. And one time I talked to him about it, I actually interviewed him about it for a school project. And he told me like, uh, you know, I just wish I had, I wish I could do it again with the wisdom that I have now. Cause at the time he was yeah. probably like late thirties, you know, uh, when he went though, he was 24 when he was in Hollywood yeah. really making his movies. And that's one thing he said was like, I was, I thought I was hot shit. I thought I was untouchable. I thought that this is the rest of my life, you know, is just going to be movie yeah. after movie and meeting star after star and yada, yada. And it didn't happen that way. And, I'm glad that at 33, I'll be 34 this year. Um, I am a lot wiser than I was in my twenties. And I think yeah. that I would have had maybe a similar trajectory if I would have gone out there at 23, 24, thinking I was hot shit and being told I'm amazing and I'm the next big thing and blah, blah, blah. Cause now I think that in my thirties, um, I'm very cautious. Um, I try to sense out if I think someone's bullshitting me, just telling me like, Oh, you're amazing. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, keep that ego in check because you know, yeah. you, you don't know if someone's just trying to gas you up, but also um, for you, I love the wisdom of knowing like, man, this, that, you know, I don't, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like this is it. I'm going to maintain a level of confidence and know that like, this is the beginning of my career. However, I'm yeah. going to really sit in this moment and soak it all in and take video yeah. and just know that like nothing is guaranteed. Um, you know, it's kind of like that, um, you know, tomorrow isn't even promised, you know, in a bigger sense yeah. outside of career. So it's like really yeah. soak this in and enjoy this. And I just think that was a really beautiful way of putting it. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, um, it, you know, look, so I, I stopped, I dedicated everything to, to screenwriting when I was 30. So I stopped my, my, my professional life and, Thankfully, I've been working pretty hard since I was 18. I was able to do that, to, to, privileged enough to be able to do that, to focus solely on writing. Mm -hmm. And I gave myself a, a, a timeline of five years. If I didn't make it within five years, mm -hmm. game over. I was mm -hmm. going to go back to, to, to doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And I made it with about four months to spare. Wow. And so, so I sort of used that as the, the idea of, look, I might, not, I might have another 20 years in me. Let's, mm -hmm. let's, be, let's be liberal. Let's say 30, right? Mm -hmm. How can I tattoo my message across the world, as it were, mm -hmm. in that time? What do I need to do? How can I do it with, with, the, with the privileged position that I'm in to be able to do so? Mm -hmm. And so if, if I go by the ethos of all of life is a wager, which is kind of how I like to live my life, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. Then I need to do whatever I can, however I can, and, and, and give it all 
in that amount of time. And going back to it, I might not be able to do this ever again. So mm-hmm. what can I do? How can I do it? And how can I give it my all? And that was that was the whole way that I, I went about the whole situation. Mm-hmm. Um, in doing so, talking about age, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. I was 35 at the time, still mm-hmm. so naive. And I think you mentioned this with, with the podcast with Dave. Mm-hmm. So naive to, to what, how the industry works. I don't still really understand it. It's still mm-hmm. sort of getting to me in bits and bobs. I'm mm-hmm. still figuring it out after two or three years. Mm-hmm. But there's so much to digest to figure out and how to keep yourself in the game and not just sort of go, well, I've made it here. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Good night. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's another step you've got to take and, and I'm still getting into that. And, and yeah, it, you, you're, you're quite right. I, I hear about those stories like you mentioned about your friend all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's really amazing. I would encourage any screenwriters listening, no matter what level, unless you're further along than me, cause you already know this, but um, try to don't be shy about learning about the business. It's basically absolutely necessary to at least learn, learn the business, learn how movies even get made, learn about the process. Even if you don't want to direct or produce or any of that, I would, I would recommend screenwriters really try to learn as much as you can about the, it's only going to benefit you. You know, uh, I am not a business savvy person per se. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to break through that and trying not to let my stubbornness of my past self, uh, affect that today because in the past I would just resign myself and be like, eh, well, business isn't my thing. I'm just not good yeah. at it. And it's like, now it's like, well, you know, try harder, you know, try to learn, uh, talk to people who know more than you and try to really absorb their knowledge. And yeah. What does uh, Guy Crawford always say? Learn the business about the business. Is that what he says? Is I'm that sure what he says? He that all the time. That's what he says. It's a bit of wisdom from Guy. What a legend. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you're going to take wisdom from anyone, uh, Guy Crawford is a good guy to take it from. He's always dropping knowledge on Twitter. So, yeah, uh, one of my favorite interviews. He's a, he's a great dude. Lives up to his hype. He's got a lot of hype on Twitter, you know. Everyone loves him, and getting to talk to him, it was just a pleasure. But So shout out Guy Crawford if you hear this. Um, so, Nabil, uh, how would you describe your brand? I know we've touched on the sci-fi, grounded sci-fi, but mm. if you want to – Give us your spiel. Yeah. So like, like all your guests always say, it's, it's a really difficult question to answer. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so brand for me, it's something, you know, sci-fi-esque, horror. I delve into a bit of horror. Mm-hmm. There, there are no limitations. There's no sort of elevated anything here. It's all, everything is elevated. I don't understand that, that term. But um, yeah, it's it's just sci-fi. If, if I can think of something that interests me, whether it be it AI or space travel, cosmos, the afterlife, uh-huh. uh, the supernatural, it always starts with a what if for me. And if I can take that and use the the genre as um, as a conduit to tell dramatic stories, that's mm-hmm. essentially what I want to do. So mm-hmm. if it's a high concept thing, like like it was in pod and then sort of inject this, this dramatic uh, element to it about a, essentially about a woman who wants to go back home to her mother, Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's it for me. And if I can inject a piece of myself into that, which normally the, the characters do inhibit something of myself in it, then mm-hmm. uh, then then it makes it uh, a lot a lot better for me. It, it, it's mm-hmm. a truer story that way. Um, yeah, I feel like I can't. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I feel like I can't write a story. I can't truly commit until I know what thing I'm injecting from myself and my own mm-hmm. life, my experience, my personality, my belief, 
just one of those mm-hmm. things, you know, some piece of me has to be put in there. And then I'm like, okay, now I always have my North star to look at as I'm writing this thing. What am I yeah. talking about? What am I expressing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think all the best stories are pieces of yourself in the character, mm-hmm. um, certainly yep. for the, the scripts that I write. And so I, I look inwards and I, I think about what's, what's affecting me at the time, what's interesting me at the time. So, uh, Recently, it has been AI development and, and those types of things and neural networks and, and getting hard into that kind of stuff. And then before that, it was um, looking at the afterlife and how that sort of clashes with science and philosophy and then religion and society. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, a lot of the conversations that I have with my friends and peers is they're about politics and society. So how does that, how does that bleed into things that I want to write when it comes to horror scripts and, and all these types of things, making short films about horror and mm-hmm. uh, how, how that kind of gets in there, especially sociopolitical stuff. So it, it, there is no sort of brand. It's, it's really about the things that interest me at the time. And if they're, if they're hard nerd stuff, how can I get that drilled down for an audience to understand as well? Especially if I'm going, you know, deep into some some crazy sci-fi stuff. So yeah, it's, sure. it's that that's what I'm sort of leaning into. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, definitely want to talk about your short film in a little bit. Uh, could you real quick though, for the listeners, uh, give the logline of Pod real quick because that's the script that won you the 2019 Screencraft Sci-Fi Competition. And I really was intrigued by the log line. So if you wouldn't mind, just kind of giving the quick rundown. Yeah, if I can remember it now, it's been a while. Um, Yeah, yeah. Incidentally, still working. I was working on it yesterday for for the director, but yeah. Um, The log line, the log line is a woman wakes up in an escape pod having aged 37 years, uh, having gone through a black hole. Um, that's basically it. So the the intriguing part, I think was uh, 37 years aged up sort of thing. That's so awesome. And it is, correct me if I'm wrong, is it a, because I haven't gotten to read it, but is it a one character script? Like a one location? location? Yeah. Yeah. So super contained. Super contained. Yeah. It's all all in, um, it's all in one pod, escape pod, and it's uh, our protagonist and an AI computer talking to her, who's a companion inside the the thing. That is amazing, man. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, hopefully now I get a chance to see it uh, soon, <laughs> but yeah, that's okay. great. Uh, so let's talk about writing a little bit. Um, since everyone's routine is unique, uh, what's it like whenever you sit down, Nabil, to write? Are you, is it daytime, nighttime, or, you know, caffeine, no caffeine, music, no music? What's it like for you Certainly. when you sit down? Yeah, so I'm quite measured and... Um regimented when it comes to my writing uh, mm-hmm. so as I was with my, my professional life. But um, mm-hmm. so for me, it's where, where you see it. I am now, obviously the, the audience can't see, but this is where I work from a desktop mm-hmm. um, during the day, start mm-hmm. at nine, I get about four or five hours and then I stop because that's my brain power limit. Mm-hmm. And there is no, there are no limits to how many pages I'll write or, or where I'll get to. It's just mm-hmm. whenever my brain says, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore because I'm focused. Yeah. Um, if I'm writing something um, and I need inspiration, I'll put on a, a soundtrack of a film that is a similar comparison, sort of comparison to what I'm writing. Mm-hmm. 
no no lyrics I've, i think either said the same thing in the last podcast like yeah. no lyrics because otherwise you start writing the dialogue yeah um, yep. <laughs> it'd be off yeah um so that's 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 sort of it <clears throat> uh, monday to friday no mm -hmm. no weekends off the machines for the weekend stay off don't look at anything oh, uh, so cool. you won't find me on the weekends on twitter or anything at all nice. um yeah that's just so that i don't get overwhelmed with the screen and the social media and, yeah. and all that stuff and <clears throat> i think if nothing i'm just job. like impressed that a human being in the year 2022 is able to do that that's amazing <laughs> um no that's um it's very healthy i'm sure uh yeah that's cool though i love um because the other people i've talked to it, they're they're not as regimented i feel like some people are kind of just all over the place so it's mm -hmm. cool for whatever writers are out there like you to hear that you know and be like oh okay so i'm not the weirdo you know what i mean like it is okay to be a structured regimented writer yeah i uh, yeah the, the the regime is similar to how i sort of lay out the path to to writing the script in itself as well mm -hmm. um but also to add to that no coffee just water Mm -hmm. But saying that, Andy, thinking about it, when I go to rewrite, when I do the polishing up of the script, mm -hmm. I can have music on then mm -hmm. because I'm not doing the same type of writing. I'm fixing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes listening to music uh, that you could totally see being in the film, you can watch the scene play out in your head while you're listening to the music. And yeah, it's, it, it can really transport yeah. you. Uh, cool. So then, uh, let's jump into like your process. So when you sure. have a brand new idea, you figure out, oh man, what if insert blank, uh, science fiction idea, uh, what's the first thing you do Do you jump into an outline? Do you write out a log line? Do you need a title before anything? Uh, mm -hmm. what's it like for you when you get a brand new idea? Yeah, good. That's a really good question. I noticed everybody has a different thing, and you're you're a logline person, if I believe. I'm a logline person, and I really, really prefer to have a title. Yeah, yeah. That, that's good. That's really good. Does that also come in with a with an ending in mind as well? Then logline title and and an end. That's kind of what I start thinking about after I get the logline. Um, the mm. logline, I just need to know what is the general plot that we're going to be mm. working through. Who is the main character? What is their like one word descriptor? Uh, you know, like cool. a, a depressed banker or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And just, and then also from that, I also kind of get a sense of the antagonist, the force that's pushing back on them getting the goal. So I get a really brief version of what are the elements I'm working with. And that's all subject to change. Of course, you know, it's, I'm yeah. just getting it out for the first time, but then I start thinking about outline and that's when, yeah, it's usually what's the beginning, what's the end is kind of what I start mm -hmm. thinking about first. And what's like the inciting is incident usually. That's very cool. No, yeah. I like that. That's, 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 uh, yeah, that's really cool actually. Cause you, you're figuring it all out as, you, as you're sort of going along together and, and piecing it together. Yeah. Um, was for me, I'll, if I come up with an idea, mm -hmm. uh, it, it can come from anywhere. Um, I will just think about it and I'll keep it in my mind and I'll, I'll go to sleep with it. I'll go to shower with it. I'll go mm -hmm. to walk with it. And it would mm -hmm. take about two or three, four weeks even sometimes where I'm just thinking about what is this? Why is this? You know, mm -hmm. how, what am I trying to say? And I won't even touch uh, the, the software or, or Word document. Mm -hmm. And then I'll come to the table <clears throat> and I'll look at comparisons. I'll go off and say, let's, let's say for pod, for example, a comparison mm -hmm. might be uh, 
interstellar let's say mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so i'll watch it and i'll watch it and i'm going well what what happened here what what is it i'm trying to not be too similar to and what are the nuggets of information here that i think i could sort of look at and go that's really interesting how does mm-hmm. it fit into my what if story mm-hmm. and i'll sit on it for a bit more and i think about it a little bit more and then i'll come to my word document and i will start to write a plan and the plan essentially is a treatment mm-hmm. it starts off with with bullet bullet points of, of like where we're going what are the beats you know mm-hmm. what's the log line log line is important because then i know well this is what it is this is this is how i pitch it to the people in, in power yes and so I'll, I'll put that down i'll go right here are the main beats and this is my ending if i don't know my ending i don't know where i'm going i don't know what the journey is i can't i can't direct this thing i yep. can't push it in any in direction yeah and so the beats are done and i'll sit back for another couple of weeks a week and i'll go okay that's good i'm happy with that mm-hmm. let's expand mm-hmm. and it really is a case of expansion 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 it's growing from the log line to the beats to the treatment mm-hmm. To yeah. an even bigger treatment where it's, you know, I'm talking about 30 pages, mm-hmm. all in the process, Andy, of getting to the point where I don't stare at a blank page. Mm-hmm. If I'm staring at a blank page on final draft, mm-hmm. something has gone wrong with my process mm-hmm. because I don't know what I'm supposed to be writing. And if I don't know what I'm supposed to be writing, I shouldn't be writing it because I'm not about to guess. Mm-hmm. I'm about to start figuring things out. I can do that after the fact. I can, I can lay the structure of the story that I've built on and mm-hmm. then I can go back. Yeah. And then I can work on it and then I can expand and retract things and, and edit things after the fact. Mm-hmm. But if I start then just sit there staring at a page, something has gone wrong with me and mm-hmm. my process. So I need to get all those, those things out. I know it's different for everybody else. And some people mm-hmm. think that's insane, Yeah, but that's just the way I work and, and it works for me. No. Yeah. That's very interesting. How do you think that you were doing like treatment to expanded treatment, um, you know, up to 30 pages for a treatment? Were you doing this before you were like a working professional writer? Or was that something that you adopted after getting into the industry and realizing that maybe that's what a studio needs? Uh, like, there's no way around that. That's what they're asking of you. It's a really interesting question, because I think it goes hand in hand. I think that whatever process you may have before you 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 jump the jump the uh onto the ship of, of being signed and reps, mm-hmm. you have to know that at some point your you, the way that you work and your structure will have to change to accommodate execs, to accommodate other writers, actors, mm-hmm. directors. And so mm-hmm. my, where there might not have been a plan beforehand or where there might not have been structure or treatment beforehand, there definitely will be now because mm-hmm. they'll demand that from you. Mm-hmm. So I think it went hand in hand with what I used to do in my professional life, being very sort of regimented and sort of having that plan mm-hmm. before and then implementing into, well, how can I be as professional as possible about this? Well, I'll just copy what I used to do in my own profession anyway. Mm-hmm. And it sort of, it's, it helped me definitely. Yeah. Um, this could be cut out if you don't want to say, but could I ask what your last, what your previous profession was? Yeah, sure. I used to work in the IT industry. That's about as simple as oh. I can put it. Um, cool. Straight Sweet. out of university, computer science, and then went off to... Incidentally, I used to live on the East Coast of USA. Uh-huh. Um, I, I worked over there in, in, a, in a tech company over there, mm-hmm. went over to the Middle East, and I was in um, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, mm-hmm. United Arab Emirates, for about mm-hmm. for about a decade, yeah. and then came over here. Um, so yeah, just IT stuff. No, nothing spectacular, nothing interesting, and like yeah. complete opposite of being creative and, yeah. and writing and film. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting though, man. You're, you're really well traveled. You've been around the world. 
<laughs> very fortunate to do so. Yeah, I was very yeah. lucky to come out of university with a with an offer to go to go work in the states. I took that opportunity, never looked back. It was a wonderful time. Um, yeah. Right about the time when President Obama came into power, uh, okay, 07, cool. and sure. then there for his re-election in twelve. And I was living in Atlanta at the time, and it really mm. gave me a taste for the politics of the United States that operates mm. there. Certainly the social division that's there that there wasn't present from where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really sort of defined the way that I looked at um, politics and, and society going forward. It was a real eye-opening experience for me. Very yeah. interesting. And I bet a lot of good story fodder. I bet a lot of good character fodder, you know, things to use in your stories later in life, um, having experienced so many different uh, societal norms in different places. Uh, that's really interesting. Okay, cool. So yeah, uh, very interesting to hear though, your process, because you're right. It sounds like you were regimented in your old pre- previous profession. You're regimented even in the way that you use technology today with, you know, I do Monday through Friday. I don't get on the screens this weekend. So I don't think it's that far-fetched to hear that your writing process is also quite regimented and that's, that's good. And you're right. You know, like you said, you know that not everyone is the same. I definitely differ in mm-hmm. the sense of I like my outlines to be pretty loose. Now, I haven't had the privilege of a studio or, you know, uh, someone who was actually wanting to make my script being like, give us a treatment. We don't want anything else. Give us a really detailed yeah. treatment. You know, we don't want script. Uh, I haven't had that opportunity yet. So that's something that I will have to, you know, figure out when I get there. But I've had to learn that um, I I don't do well when I do too detailed of an outline. There's something mm-hmm. for me, and maybe it's the genre I write into of like kind of dramedy, usually has an indie feel to it, um, that I like to write a few of the biggest beats where the story yeah. kind of takes a turn um, or the stakes take a turn. But other than that, I like to, you know, to take a save the cat term, like the fun and games part. I like to kind of find that organically as I'm writing and just seeing the movie play out in my head, you know, Uh, which were different in that way. But I do always like to emphasize now that I do have a screenwriting podcast that there is no (laughs) one way to do this. Um, Whatever your way is, if it works for you, then you're doing the right thing. You know. Do you find that the way that you write then blends into the, because it's that sort of indie um, comedy sort of dramatic element to it, that mm-hmm. it lends into the voices of the characters more because it's not it's not pre-planned and <laughs> therefore the characters who in most cases in those types of stories are directionless to, to, to some degree. They yeah. sort of talk yeah. off, off cuff and, and, and the dialogue between the characters becomes natural. Is that, is that how it works for you? Yes, I do think that's a big thing. Um, And I wonder too, if some of it, excuse me, if some of it is part of my improv training. So like I came up at like a small improv theater in St. Louis, I went through their whole training program and I was on a couple teams, nothing too crazy. I'm not like a fucking great improviser or anything. However, it (laughs) did really teach me a lot about existing in the moment, you know? And Mm -hmm. I think that maybe that is part of why I write the way that I write. And I feel like I can organically discover comedy in a scene where when I set out to write the scene, I had no idea what it was going to be as far as like Mm -hmm. the tone of the, I kind of know the tone of the conversation, but like little jokes and stuff that come up is usually me just like typing away and just being in like a flow state and being like, well, this is the thing that I would think is funny if I was watching Mm -hmm. a movie and this is two characters having this conversation 
that's usually how it goes for me. It's not always a flow state. Sometimes it's really difficult. But um, yeah, yeah, I would say that uh, perhaps it does have to do with genre. I think that's probably a good observation. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. The Social Screenwriters Podcast is sponsored by Brave Maker, a 501c3 nonprofit film organization dedicated to supporting filmmakers and elevating brave voices for justice, diversity, and inclusion. With screenwriting workshops, weekly live shows on YouTube, and a full production team, Brave Maker is a growing creative studio, production company, and creative community, both in person and online. Do you have a finished film looking for a film festival screening? Submit your film at bravemaker.com fest, and you could be screening your short or feature in the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area at our annual festival in person July 7th through 10th 2022 in Redwood City, California. Do you need fiscal sponsorship to raise tax deductible funds to get your film into production? Go to bravemaker.com and apply to have your project considered and get ongoing support to help makers of all kinds achieve their filmmaking goals. Brave stories change the world and you are the story. Find out more at bravemaker.com and follow us on Instagram and YouTube at bravemaker.org. So, Nabil, back to you, because you're in the hot seat. Mm-hmm. Uh, on average, how long for a first draft to be complete from beginning actual script pages to being yeah. complete? Now, I'm, I'm <clears throat> curious because your treatments are so detailed. I feel like yeah. maybe you breeze through your pages, but what's it like? Yeah, so if I do the hard work and the treatments, then the, the script itself will take you know, anywhere up to three to four weeks to get that first draft done. But that's a really detailed, solid first draft, which won't need too much amendments in the sense of that first draft uh, dialogue, twi- you know, glitches and those types of things here and there. And mm-hmm. so once that's done, I'll put it away for about two or three weeks and I won't look at it. I won't think about it. I won't mm-hmm. see it. I won't edit it. And I got this from um, Stephen King uh, on writing, his, yep. his, his method. Brilliant, brilliant book. Fantastic book, yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll put it away, and then I'll come back to it. I'll read it again, and I'll realize this is absolute garbage, as everyone does. And mm-hmm. then I'll start to, to cut away or or add, um, yeah. and then read it. I'll just read it over and over and over and again, and then I'll sort of fix it scene by scene in that regimented order that I do. Mm-hmm. And then when it's ready, when I think it's ready to be sent out to my reps to sort of give it their blessing, and my close uh, close peers that I that I sort of share my work mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. I'll send it out and say, well, this is the situation. This is why I think it might be weak. This is why I think it might be strong. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Um, and I, I, the worst thing I can do is, is get back um, feedback, which is good. Or, you know, oh, this is amazing. Just mm-hmm. tell me what doesn't work. Tell yeah. me what, what needs to change and yeah. what you didn't understand or what's not, being, what's not coming across clearly on the page. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm really into here. Don't, don't give me a... <laughs> The positives <laughs> yeah yeah see i'm i'm a little different in that way that i need i need some level of ego stroke because i'm just <laughs> pathetic i need all, all i want to know like i do want to know every single bad thing for sure mm-hmm. that's the most important thing but there's some level of like well did you like it though you know like did you <laughs> did you think that that one part was funny you know because i'm just yeah. maybe that's just the kind of personality i am i'm like please just like me please pay attention to me but um, so the, the comedy, I really want to know if it's working, but I would imagine for grounded sci-fi that mm. you, you probably have some logical stuff in the story that you're like, is yeah. that coming across? Definitely. Yeah. I, I just finished a pilot recently and I sent it off to a few friends and they were like, we don't understand the neural network stuff. We don't get, 
like how can we break it down further? Mm-hmm. And um, I always look to what Eric Heiser did in Arrival when he was trying to explain <laughs> to the execs how he was going to explain in the script how mm-hmm. the aliens use their language. Great mm-hmm. film, Arrival. Oh, yeah, um, brilliant. <laughs> I just sort of think of ways to, to, to deliver those those out those crazy concepts uh, in a way which 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 resonates and, and, and helps uh, simplify it mm-hmm. um, going back to what you're saying Andy those it's like yeah. f- for me when it comes to the note situation and, and if you like the script it mm-hmm. always comes down to like do I like it I like it so yeah. <laughs> you know That's this is what thing. I want to see yeah. on the screen yes you know? definitely yeah. <clears throat> I think that, I think where we're getting to is that you are just more of a confident person in general than me. So I'm just like, please give me approval like every step of the way. But no, I'm just, of course I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. So cool. Uh, so about three to four weeks, typically, if you do all the hard work uh, to get started, um, whenever it is complete. So you kind of mm-hmm. already touched on this, that you will send us to some peers, get their feedback. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm you will send it to your reps once it's kind of ready. Uh, let me ask you this though, because this is kind of changing for me now that I am rep sure. and it's only been two months, but um, are you entering contests or anything of that nature anymore? No, nothing. Yeah. yeah. No, not since 20, not since the screencraft thing. Yeah. That's um, kind of where I'm at too. Yeah. Um, this, this, so the, you know, what, what did you use the competition for? For me, it was trying to find a method to get on the radar of managers to get signed. Yes. yes that, that mission has been accomplished somewhat. So mm-hmm. I don't need to do that anymore. If I need, if I need to have coverage or feedback, I have, I have people that I can send it to that mm-hmm. I've selected for a particular reason because of what they bring to the table. Yeah. And also I now have people in my reps mm-hmm. who will look at that and it's their judgment I really have to focus on because they're the ones taking it out to the market, taking yeah. it out to execs. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter what a coverage person, uh, you know, on a different website says, because that's completely what might not be the same for my manager. Mm-hmm. But I do understand how people will go to these coverage places because they don't have anybody else to turn to, 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 my alarm is going off to, oh, yeah. um, to, you know, send off, and, and get feedback from them. They might not have anybody else, so that's that's why it could be valuable. But for for me, it's 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 not needed anymore. Yeah, that's how I am, and um, a very good point too that it, they did their job. Um, I did it especially for both of us outside of LA. Uh, it's about the only thing that you can do to try to break through that barrier of being outside LA. And for me and for you, we were lucky enough that we could use it to our advantage and everything worked out. Um, I don't know what the price tag was for you in the end with all contests, but for me, you know, I, I put a couple grand into it for sure over, you know, a few years of entering. And in the end, it all worked out uh, only because of one, which was the nickel, which is kind of the big dog. That's what set everything off for me. Um, it's kind of hilarious to me that after I did the nickel thing and after I got repped that two months later, I finally won a contest when I won the, uh, the script pipeline thing, which I'm amazingly grateful that happened. But, um, it was just kind of a funny situation. Cause I was like, well, that would have been nice before I had a manager <laughs> to have done that. But, um, that's how it worked out. And I'm super grateful that it happened, but, um, Yeah, that's how I feel too. And I definitely still think that for people out there, you know, contests are 
always the subject of a lot of scrutiny. But um, yeah, if you're definitely. outside of LA, if you have the money to enter, um, they can change your life. I know that for me, the nickel changed mine, and for you, Screencraft mm -hmm. changed yours. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, there's no other way around it for me personally. Is that mm -hmm. definitely the nickel changed my life? It uh, it opened the door. Yeah, and and you know, Screencraft changed my life as well in the sense of of what I got to do and what I'm trying to do now. Mm -hmm. But I must stress that it is it is a lottery. It, it yes. really is. You know, yes. it's the right person at the right time that looks at it and goes, "This is good," mm -hmm. and they took a chance on you. And mm -hmm. and I know that I'm in a very very fortunate position. This this there is some talent involved, of course, that, that can't be denied. But it is a huge slice of luck that somebody retweeted something that my manager then saw, mm -hmm. right? Or yeah. that somebody at the Screencraft uh, competition judges said, "This is good. Yeah, this this could be a winner. Why not?" Yeah. You know, it was very even even for for my in my personal story getting to Screencraft, I wasn't going to enter it. But I have a very good friend, um, Ashley William Griffiths, a fine actor from the United Arab Emirates, mm -hmm. and we're very close. And he said, "This is this is competition here. Why don't you?" <clears throat> when you enter, I said, oh, I'm not going to bother. He said, look, just do it. I'm, like, oh, I'm not really interested. You know, I've done a few competitions. It's not working out. He said, look, I'll pay for it. I'll do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'll put it in. I was like, yeah, sure. If you want to, if you want to put your money into it, go for it. Yeah. He's like, oh, okay. And you know, that's, that's the kind of friendship that we have. Uh -huh. <clears throat> and then he did. And then suddenly it started like quarterfinals, semifinals. I'm like, hang on a second. This is, uh, this is working out pretty well. And then when he got into the finals, I got a phone call from Screencraft, uh, the guy that works over there. And he was like, um, if you were to win, what would you say? How would you? And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. So I gave him, you know, this conversation. Then a few weeks later, I said, oh, you've won it. And I was like, well, that's that's the way it works out sometimes. Somebody takes a so... chance. In this case, it was a friend. And then it was a competition. And then it was a manager. And then it was an agent. And then here you are. It's just the way it works. There's no trick to it. There's no yeah. defined path. It just happens. Yeah, that is so funny that that's how it went down for you, that it wasn't even you submitting. It was like, all right, if you're going to, you know, uh, if you're going to force me to enter, then go ahead spend your money. I don't want to do it. I've been in competitions before. It hasn't worked out. Right. Uh, that's just yeah. so funny because that is how it happens. And like, for me, I entered my two nickel scripts from 2021. I entered in 2020 and neither of them made mm -hmm. the quarterfinals. And I was just like, well, fuck, you know, it is the toughest competition out of all yeah. of them. I get it. That's fine. And uh, they both needed some work. And then over the next year, I kind of kept chipping away at them and polishing them. Entered them again this year. And it was that thing of like, oh, shit, they both made the quarterfinals. And then like, oh, oh shit, yeah. the semifinals. Now it's getting real. And I didn't make the finals. But the good thing about the nickel is it's so big that you can make the quarters and get some buzz. Mm hmm. Um, Huge. so for me, it's like, yeah, you didn't, I didn't even have to win. And even from there though, it was a chain reaction of someone reaching out. They wanted to help me. They got me. I had a few people getting me meetings, uh, helping me yeah. out and, uh, that led to epicenter, you know? So it just, it's funny how it works out. Did you have a plan, Andy, when you went into it? Did you have a sort of strategy to these are the competitions I'm going to enter, these ones I will not enter, and there's a there's a particular strategy involved? Was that the same for you or you know, I really didn't. I think um that's a very important thing to think about for genre writers, um, sci-fi, mm. horror, um, 
definitely something to think about, especially horror. I know the contests are very unfair to horror unless it's like a horror specific contest. Uh, But for me, you know, I did think of it in terms of there are about six or seven very reputable contests. Um, And and even of those, they're all a lottery, like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no guarantee that, you know, oh, well, I'm going to get a really quality reader. Um, You just don't know what's going to happen. It's a complete lottery. But I I did think, you know, there's six or seven uh, competitions. And if anyone wants to know, you know, you can DM me or something and I'll tell you my personal list. But um, yeah, there was six or seven reputable contests, ones that are outside of that, what I would call reputable. I don't enter. Mm -hmm. I would never enter. Um, and you know, some of them might even be okay, but for me, it was, what is their track record of their winners? What have they actually done for people who have won? Uh, what are their connections? Who takes them serious? And, you know, I've Mm -hmm. gotten, I've even heard reps talk who are like, uh, I don't take any of them serious. Uh, Like Mm. competitions aren't my thing. I don't, and you know, just certain reps, you know, and that's their thing and that's fine. Um, some yeah. reps take uh, competitions that you would even think of as smaller competition series. It's all across yeah. the board different. There's no rules. It's kind of the Wild West in that way, the whole competition circuit Definitely. and the way reps respond. But yeah, for me, I didn't really think of it in terms of like, oh, well, you know, this competition seems to respond to what I do the most. I didn't really mm-hmm. think of it that way. And luckily, like, I was entering actively from... <clears throat> the fall of 2019 until the winter of 20 well actually the summer of 2021 so i had about a two-year run of entering contests uh so luckily it kind of ended before i had to like strategize even further outside of just entering my six or seven that i like to enter yeah what about you did you have a strategy yeah, yeah, I did. I had, I had a nine-month run of competitions, mm-hmm. and it was I had a sci-fi script. Let's go for the sci-fi genre, but uh, the genre-specific competitions. Mm-hmm. But it, there was a lot of thought process put into it. So what I did was I went to all the competitions that had proven to get their writers into the doors of certain companies. So mm-hmm. the idea here was not to get an option or to get to an exec at a at a production house. It was to get a manager. And so I went through a bunch of the screenwriting competitions and said, right, which one of these has the most sort of writers being picked up after placing in the semis and finals and winning competitions mm-hmm. and creating a massive uh, spreadsheet saying, well, if I can target these specifically, that's about six, five, maybe less now, about five um, comp- specific competitions, I've got a chance here of getting seen. Mm-hmm. And I quickly realized also it really wasn't about the script winning mm-hmm. and it wasn't about the competition. It was about the exposure that the competition gave to the script because it was always, the conversation was, if you read down into the details of the interviews, when they spoke about the winners of said competitions, it was like, well, my manager or my agent saw the log line. Mm-hmm. So it's the, lo- it's the log, it's, it's the premise, it's the promise of the script that attracts these agents. Because I've heard the same thing that you have from, from other execs and agencies. They don't really care about competitions. Mm-hmm. And in my cert- certainly in my case, it wasn't the competition that retweets. It was the fact that my manager saw the log line and said, there's promise here. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that promise isn't just, oh, this promises in you can write or promises in 
oh, that sounds interesting and nice to read. It's promise of this could get made or mm-hmm. sold or picked mm-hmm. up by an exec. That's the promise. Yeah. And so if, if you can use it as a way to gain exposure on a massive platform like Twitter or a competition with huge following, yeah. it, it definitely boosts your chances of being seen by the right people. Definitely, definitely. And I think we're different because of the genres that we write in. I think for you as a grounded sci-fi writer, your log line is often going to be the thing that sells you, that gets you into their eyes, you know? Um, whereas I think with what I write, and this is just kind of, I'm just kind of saying this for people listening, uh, and whatever you write, you know, you can kind of think of it through your lens. But, um, for me as a dramedy writer, um, oftentimes the log line, you know, you want a log line that grabs, of course it grabs attention. But, um, I think for me, a lot of times I really need them to read the thing. I really need to get them to get in there and read it because I think with dramedy, so it's so much more focused on voice. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that that's what has gotten me everything that I've gotten is that once people actually take a chance on it and they start reading it, I hope that they don't put it down. But oftentimes yes. that's what I hear is that they're like, oh yeah, your voice just kind of left off the page and your writing mm-hmm. is very lean, which is nice. Um, it's not mm-hmm. super dense, but I think with, cause I've also written a horror feature and I know that with my horror feature, it was much more like, what can I do in the log line to make them think, oh, that's that's a new addition to the genre. That's something yes. that hasn't been done yet. And I'm sure with sci-fi, that's a lot of the battle that you're fighting when you say, like, I want to do something in space and uh, maybe have something with a black hole involved. I need to watch Interstellar first yeah. to make sure that I don't just tread water that's already been tread in the genre. Sure. Um, especially a movie like Interstellar, that's kind of the gold standard of that type yeah. of sci-fi that really heady uh type of sci-fi so yeah um i do think uh uh it, it's different for different genres you know um mm-hmm. and you and that's the thing you as the writer are responsible for figuring out what is my brand what is the genre i write in and how do i need to sell this product you need to learn to be a salesperson at the end of the day um and with you talking about exposure that was a big thing for me. I don't think that I would have gotten signed off of my nickel semifinalist placement if I wasn't also hustling it at the same time, knowing that Absolutely. I have a buzz right now, you know, so you, mm-hmm. you need to be uh, really hustling that. And sometimes it feels a little self-serving and gross and, uh, you know, egomaniacal to be um, pushing your work that hard, you know, as writers, yeah. I think, uh, you know, not everyone, but you know, you want to, some of us don't like, uh, championing, championing ourselves that way, uh, publicly, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the tough thing about wanting to break into the industry. And for me, not being in LA and contests being the biggest way that I can do that. And social media being the biggest way that I can do that, spread the word about who I am. Definitely. Uh, if I wasn't hustling that so hard, I don't think I get repped. I completely agree with you. I think you touched something really interesting, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, striking while the iron's hot is very important. When you've got yes. heat on, on your name and script is definitely very important. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that you've touched upon something something that I think is so, so interesting that I found while, while navigating this crazy industry is how can you, how can you keep yourself relevant? Mm-hmm. And what you've done is what I've done as well, in a sense, is that you've done a short film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've written a script and you and you you've got reps from it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so what what are the other options you have to keep yourself relevant and to keep yourself in, in the eyes of these execs? Mm-hmm. Write a short story, get a really great treatment out there, write another spec. Mm-hmm. You know, how can you develop this, you know, this multi-pronged approach to sort of approaching these people and saying, this is what I've got. I've got a short film here. I've got a treatment. I've got a short story. I've got this spec. What I'm here. Look at me. Look mm-hmm. at me. And then when that doesn't work, or if it does get work and it gets picked up and goes into various stages of development, do mm-hmm. another one. You know, if you're so yeah. privileged to be able to do so. Sure. Um, I know that you spoke about how difficult it is it was for you to get together your crew and and get it. You know, and, mm-hmm. and obviously I've been seeing the progress that you've been going through with your yeah. short film. But it's hard um, for everybody. It's hard for everyone, right? Yeah. But it's yep. so helpful in the sense of, especially for your, your reps, they look at it and go, well, this guy's just producing. He's given me this, this, this to work with and to send out there. And yep. I love those kind of uh, creators. So yeah. it's, it's how, can I, how can I constantly be giving, giving uh, the industry my material in different formats for them to sit up and take notice and to, and to take a chance on what I'm writing it or, or creating? Definitely, definitely cannot agree with that enough and any writers who have any kind of inkling of wanting to be a director or wanting to be a producer and you also write you can write a short film if you can write a short film and it's even possible that you could think about starting a crowdfund think about how could we shoot this ourselves Uh, do we know someone with a camera do we know a couple actors uh it's so much easier to show someone who you are as a creator what you're trying to do than it is to make them read a PDF. I forget who just said that the other day. Um, Someone said, I think it was Jim Cummings. He was like, uh, no one cares about your PDF, but they will watch (laughs) it. They will watch your film, you know? And it's so So true true. that, yeah, it's so much easier to show them what you mean because also, you know, I can give over my hundred page PDF and be like, this is my film. I would love to make it, blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. you can only glean so much from reading the words of, yeah, but how does that person, that writer, see it in their imagination? So mm-hmm. if you can cut out that bullshit of explaining it to them, it's that thing of show, don't tell. We all know that as writers. If you can show them rather than tell them what you think it yes. would look like, um, you're so far ahead of the game. And then exactly. they're so much more likely to give you a shot and... Um, you know, with crowdfunding too, I just did my first crowdfund for my last short. We were in the privileged position of having a camera available. I have a little black magic camera and we had some uh, Rokinon lenses, which are, you know, cheap, but they do the job and they get a pretty nice image. Uh, and then we also, from my old film school, had the chance to rent lights and rent C-stands and all these things for free. You get all that equipment for free because we were alumni and we also had a current student on our set. So it's just a bunch of friends and shit getting together to make a film. And uh, we tried to raise just $1,200 for food just to pay for uh, catering and shit for a few days. And uh, we ended up, because people were so gracious, we ended up raising like $3,200. I had no idea what I was doing with crowdfunding, but I just dove in. I just learned about what sites are available. What can we do? Um, And that's a lot of this is that I'm not a person who tells you, hey, you have an iPhone, don't you? Go make your movie. That's all it takes. It is harder than that. However, it absolutely is. Thank you for saying that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But with like careful thought, if, if you think there's any way that you can, where you are, find the right people to help you. 
because you can't no one no one makes a movie alone uh maybe a few people do um but i don't but anyway yeah if you can if you can round up the resources and make a crowdfund and promote it on your social media and try to figure things out uh i would just always encourage someone to do that and i'm going to go ahead and transition into if we could talk about your short film and kind of the experience sure. making that uh for people listening to kind of get a first-hand account yeah definitely like you just said you know um gathering resources and stuff is really important i was really lucky to to make contact very very early on with it with the dp for my short film mm-hmm. who was so passionate about the script and the story mm-hmm. that he was like i can get this i can get this for free i can get this and get this crew that we would do it for cheap and suddenly if you get people on board that are really passionate about the project and see the potential in it mm-hmm. suddenly things become cheaper beg borrow steel here and there and suddenly you've got yourself a full crew and kit for a lot less than what you expected because they believe in it, believe in it yeah um, in, in my case was very fortunate right yeah. to have that yeah um so f- for me the 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 story trail which is um mm. which it's Urdu for which uh, mm colloquial term but sure. it's it's an old mythical story um coming from south asia and you hear about it a lot as a kid and i heard about it as a kid it's about this witch who has backwards feet and she's just, just this monster right mm-hmm. takes children and all these things very dark and sinister and, and i've been writing this script for a while with my reps and getting it you know various drafts and, and stuff like that and um and I said, well, I want to direct this. So I'm going to do the short film. I'm going to do a proof of concept. I'm going to take a scene from the film and I'm going to shoot it and show them exactly why I'm the right person to do this and what I think it would look like and how it would feel. Yeah. And so I put this thing together. I, I just went ahead and just did it. I didn't <coughs> wait for anybody to give me permission mm-hmm. or, or, what, or what stuff. I, I'd saved some money over the years. I hadn't done a short film in about five years or something. Yeah. And so I've been putting money away and you know, we met the budget, met the right people, got the right crew and cast, got the location. There was amazingly a gap in the um, uh, lockdown here in Melbourne. And we managed to shoot within that gap. And then we went back into lockdown afterwards. <laughs> so oh, very shit. fortunate. Yeah. Um, got it done and then sort of color, sound, put all the effort you could put into it mm-hmm. and sent it off to my reps and said, what do you think? They said, this is amazing. Don't put it into any competitions. Don't put it anywhere because it's going to go with the script as a proof of concept to X company. Got it. And so immediately I was like, well, I can't show this online. I can't put it in any competitions, yeah. which is fantastic because it's done exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted it to go to the right people. Yeah. Um, so I just you know, put a trailer out there. It's a, a teaser trailer for people to see and to take a look mm-hmm. at you know, what I'm trying to achieve with, with the, the mood and tone of it all. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience. And luckily, the, the, the risk paid off because it did exactly what I wanted to do. It, it enhanced a project I already had yeah. and propelled it into a, a much favorable position. Yeah, man. And, you know, no executive is going to know what you can do as a first-time director unless you show them. Mm-hmm. And that's the only yeah. way um, <clears throat> right now with having some of my features being taken out for the very first time, I've never experienced this. Uh, I've had right. to come to the realization that like, even though I do have uh, a short film that can kind of show mm-hmm. what I can do at the same time, I am not being precious about my first feature. If I'm lucky enough to sell something, I'm not being mm-hmm. precious about, I need to direct it. Not the first yeah. one. I'm totally willing no. to let one go. 
because the um, the way I'm seeing it is the amount of buzz and good things that it could bring me being the screenwriter of a movie that got made will only yeah. benefit me. And then I'll have short film samples for the next one and say, Hey, I want to, you know, direct, but yeah, uh, I think that's incredible that you went that route. Uh, I love filmmakers who just say like, well, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to wait for anyone yeah. to give me permission. I'm just going to go do this shit. And like you said, I think that, you know, reps out there love that too. They just love people who are like, I just keep churning out content. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, that's my job as a creator. And it's what I do. I can't stop it. You know, I, I'm always yeah. thinking of ideas and generating ideas and generating content. Uh, it's the best thing you can do as a young or just new uh, creator. You know? Yeah. No, yeah. You, you're, you're definitely right. Yeah. Um, I, I think I picked that up. I'm sure you probably did this as well, but I picked that, that attitude and sort of mimicking that drive that I saw in a bunch of making of documentaries on the massive dvd collection i used to have a long time ago yeah and those those things serve me to this day when i'm, when I'm looking at how to especially directing yeah i'll go onto youtube and type in making of and then hit a film and go that's really interesting i'm learning something here about how to make a film so when i step onto the set to direct i've just gained a bunch of knowledge without actually being there i've actually learned a lot just from watching it and that kind of is my life. I'm sure it is for you as well. We just inundated with film and, and, and learning about the craft. And so it made things a lot easier. Definitely. And I've seen the trailer for your movie and it looks amazing. Your short film, Cherell. That's how you say it. Yeah. 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 That's it. yeah. So thank you. No problem. Uh, before we even move on, we only have a few questions left, but where can people sure. watch that if they want to watch the trailer to Cherell? Yeah, yeah, it just it's just a I could I could scrape 30 second teaser with my reps. That was nice of them. Um yeah. so it's on my Twitter uh, pinned tweet, I think it's called. Mm -hmm. Um and that, that's it. That, that's where it is. And I can give you if you want if you really want to see 30 seconds of really, really crystal clear resolution, I can give you uh, another link. But uh that'll do you, I think. That's good enough. <laughs> yeah, nice, man. Cool. Um and you're at what what is your handle? It's Nabil Chowdhury. It's just, just, yeah, just my name, yeah, at Nabil Chowdhury. That's very, easy. Very, That's very easy. Yeah, so original. Um, I'm so fucking bad about researching that, like, I'll literally be recording an <laughs> intro and be like, all right, guys, hang on, I have to get my phone out and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just, it's amazing that anyone's listening to this thing to me. But, um, yeah. No, anyway. it's great. It's really been cool that, I, like, the people that you've got on before, before myself, the people that have come on, sure. they're all people I've really wanted to hear from. Yeah. Like you've been yeah. really selective about who you've got on and, and the way that you've got them on and the questions that you ask. It's so, it's so important for, for other screenwriters to hear. So it's, yeah. it's been really cool and it, it's very laid back and chilled out. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you, man. Yeah. It's basically just been like, uh, for me, there's no rhyme or reason to how I'm picking mm -hmm. people. It's just like, who's the next person on the list that like I've always kind of admired you know, and yeah. now I get to sit down with them and have an excuse to pick their brain. And yeah, it's just been so fun and all the guests are so good and just dropping so much knowledge for everybody. So yeah, it's been amazing, man. Uh, I'm just so happy to be doing it, but, uh, how, how yeah. long do you think it is before you start to bring on, um, the major Twitter drama players on here to, to really, really oh, express spice things <laughs> up whenever, whenever the views start declining, 
that's probably <laughs> when I'm just gonna go like fucking Jerry Springer and just do whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah. Like just get uh get all the drama on here and just become a TMZ podcast pretty much. But <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see. Hopefully I don't have to go that way. Um so Nabil, let's jump away from mm-hmm. screenwriting for a second. What are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting? Uh like whenever you get to the weekend. Uh, what are some things that you like to do outside of all of this crazy film shit? Yeah. So, um, I used to play the drums a long, long time ago and now, um, same. Yeah. Yeah. I think that we share Um, that in, uh, in common. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you're probably better than me, but, uh, yeah, (laughs) I, I dabble. Yeah, I used to dabble a lot, but uh, moving from country to country, those got left behind a long time ago and sold off and all those types of things. Yeah. Now the weekends are filled with um, uh, watching more films, mm-hmm. learning more films, reading, and really mm-hmm. just it, just resting. I'm very sort of chilled out, stay at home, homebody, go Same. for a couple of walks here and there, Same. go out to meet some friends for a few drink, quiet drinks. Um, mm-hmm. um, but video games as well um, yeah. i play a lot of video games but not during projects so when it's my downtime when it's my thinking time mm-hmm. i'll put on the playstation or i'll go onto the pc and just play something mundane very simple straightforward just to relax and not think yeah. not think about the next idea or the idea that i've been married to for the past six months because i've been writing the thing you know yeah. i just want to switch off and it, that that helps me so yeah that, that's what i'm into same. Yeah. Video games are uh, a big escape for me just to get far away from uh, like, I don't mm-hmm. play narrative video games either. Like the last of us is amazing, but I'm probably not same. trying to play that if I'm trying to decompress from story and things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah same here. Uh, no, that's cool. And we have the, the privilege of <clears throat> even watching movies is homework for yes. us in a way, you know, we're always absorbing and, but it is a hobby and it is, it'll always be a hobby. Um, you find that difficult um, when you go to, to see a film, I, I go to the cinema a lot to watch yeah. movies in the theater. So yeah. do you have the same problem as I do where you go and you're watching a film and you have to stop analyzing and stop trying to dissect story and beats and oh, that's going to happen now because yeah. 75% of the time, if you're really concentrating, you know who the bad guy is, the twist, the plot, yep. the dirt, the, dirt, the beats, you know it all because you do it every day, all day. And yeah. so do you sort of have to, do you find it hard to stop yourself from doing that? It depends. Um, weirdly, the better the movie is, the less that I mm. do that stuff. Then I'm right. just on the ride. You know what I mean? And I'm having yeah. fun. I just got done seeing Scream 5 uh, two times last week. Well, Scream cool. 2022, whatever you want to call it. But um, I have you seen it yet? I won't do any spoilers. Yes, yes I have. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, <clears throat> I just thought it was so fun. And that's a movie where you can't even, you're, you're all, it's a whodunit, you know? So you're always kind yeah. of thinking like, who is it? I thought they did a really good job though of uh, subverting at every turn. You know, you think it's this person yeah. and then no, it's not that person. They're dead now. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, but the better the movie is and the more I'm enjoying it, the more I'm able to just kind of forget about that stuff. Uh, I will have moments where I stop and admire. I'll be like, oh, man, mm. that was so smart. Or that, that mm-hmm. the, the way that shot was filmed, that's amazing. Uh, now, if I go see a movie that I really don't care for, uh, mm. I will be digging into that even more. Like, oh, my God, why, why did they do that? Or, um, you know, I don't even have a strong sense of 
why I should give a shit about this person that we're following on this journey. I don't care. They haven't yeah. given me anything. Uh, and that's when my screenwriter brain really kicks in of thinking of like, they, this is so lazy, you know? Um, however, I do think uh, that I'm honestly not that harsh of a critic. Uh, I'm sure. pretty, pretty easy to please um, to the point where sometimes people are doing film criticism in my presence. And I'm like, Oh, I just feel too dumb to even like, I liked it. <laughs> you know, like uh, yeah. you guys are really getting into the weeds and it's ironic sometimes because I'm trying to do this shit at the highest level, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I feel like I'm i I'm pretty easy to please a lot of times. There's a lot of, uh, especially like horror movies, genre movies where I, I think that like, I just temper my expectations. I grew up watching all the nightmare sequels, all the Friday sure. the 13th sequels, all the chainsaw massacre sequels, which of course, many of those are, uh, you know, objectively not great movies, but um, <laughs> I, I love them for what they are, you know? So it's like people are talking right now about the new Texas Chainsaw coming out actually tonight at midnight. Today, yeah. Yeah, or today for you, yeah. Uh, and I'm super excited for it. And someone on Twitter asked me, you know, what do you think? Are you excited? And I was like, I for sure am because, uh, oh no, it was their tweet and I commented on it, but they were saying, are you excited about this movie? And I was like, I for sure am because... I go into those, you know, those movies that have had five sequels and two reboots and one prequel. (laughs) Yeah. I go into those with the lowest of low expectations Mm -hmm. of if I get to see Leatherface killing people for 90 minutes, I'm going to have fun. (laughs) You know, (laughs) if they don't do anything that is just totally like blasphemous to the franchise and to the lore that's already been established, um, I'm going to have a good time. You know, I, I try not to let myself get bummed out too much with movies. Now, there's some movies that are super hyped and I go to see it and it's a letdown and I'm like, ah, that sucks. But again, with being a filmmaker, I'm sure that you feel this to some extent, too, that like it's mm. fucking it's so hard that I watch movies mm-hmm. in a different way now that I'm like, you know, it, it's it's very easy to be the guy or the gal who fucked up, had a studio have too much interference producers have too yeah. much interference definitely no, nobody goes out to make a bad movie that that's you know. yeah um yeah. And th- there's two things to take away from that th- th- what you just said there mm-hmm. the first thing is that i'm stunned and appalled that you don't think that jason takes manhattan is one <laughs> of the greatest films of all time i mean hey when the boxer um, is fighting him on the rooftop that fucking scene <laughs> that rules i love that scene for sure yeah. um but yeah, so looking at not wanting to be one of those directors that gets into the studio and then gets it you know, horribly wrong because of interference. Yeah. Coming from where we are now, I always look to other people that, that were in our positions recently. And, and one, one director that comes up constantly in my mind that I, that I really admire is uh, David F. Sandberg, who did Lights mm-hmm. Out, the short film. Oh, yeah. Did Lights Out, the film. Mm-hmm. Jumped over to Shazam. Mm-hmm. Annabelle comes home and all those things. It's it's just incredibly well done, and and yeah. um, it, you know, if we could follow something like him and what he's done, and, and the way that he climbed the ladder, mm-hmm. we'd be really happy with it all, you know. And, and he seems to be keeping with the same sort of things that he likes, and and yeah. even his quote unquote brand when he did Shazam was still very dark and, and mm-hmm. horror filled. So mm-hmm. it's it's it can work the other way as well. But uh, yeah, there have been some definite uh, no pun intended horror stories of people that uh, get on set and get their films blasted and ruined 
Yeah, you know, and some people just get bad reps. Like uh, this, this podcast was actually birthed in the first episode with me defending M Night Shyamalan, and like, uh, and I love M Night uh, because mm-hmm. even though nowadays you can say whatever you want about his movies, his beginning run. Uh, I was talking about this with Joe Marino, if you know him from Twitter at all. Joe Marino's an yep. awesome writer and a very cool dude. And me and him have these long Zooms every, like, once a month where it, we never intend to talk as long as we do, but we just go down a rabbit hole of talking about movies we love and all this stuff. And we, we were talking last night about uh, M. Night and signs and what signs yeah. meant to me when I was a little kid and him too. And uh, uh, another a friend of his that we were talking about, but um, yeah, that and like I mean, the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable too as well. But like mm-hmm. for me, Signs to this day is such a big movie for me. Um, it's unfortunate that Mel Gibson some of the things of you know that he's done. However, um, yeah, uh, ridiculously good performance in that movie. And uh, so yeah, people can say what they want to about M Night, but like Gabe brought up a good point. Gabe Braxton was like, uh, that dude has a career that we would all kill to have. Absolutely. You know, I mean, yeah. he's made some amazing movies and he's still making movies with the biggest studios in Hollywood. He, he, he does what he wants, Andy. Yeah. Like, he does what he wants and like, that's just a dream. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's amazing. I think that's almost exactly how Gabe put it too. was like, I mean, this dude mm. does what he's a rogue. You know, he tells the studio what he's going to do and they give him money, you know, and he makes these bold movies every single time. It's so bold. And that's the other thing that we talked about with him is that I always appreciate a big swing and literally Mm -hmm. every M night movie, you cannot say that he didn't take a huge swing. Uh, And that's always commendable, but um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Uh, I feel like talking to you is like talking to Joe Marino. Like we could go forever, <laughs> like just chit chat. But so let's keep it moving. Uh, Nabil, sure. of the scripts mm-hmm. that you've written, which is your favorite yeah. and why? Wow, that's a, that's a question, isn't it? Because it's a lot a of the things question, I've done, yeah, it's kind of up there with yeah. the brand thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And also because I don't think anybody knows I've written any of the script but Pod, because that's mm. all I've really put out there. I don't really talk about my projects. I sure. don't talk about them much at all, yeah. but sure. um, they were with, with my reps. But I did something, uh, I did a, a table read of a script uh, last year with a mm-hmm. bunch of British actors. It was a wonderful experience. They were all from Twitter. I put out a, a shout out there to say, I need an act, I need actors to do this this uh, script, uh, a table read of a script that I wrote. It was called Plastic. Mm-hmm. And it was set in the early 1900s about um, a gentleman called Dr. Harold Gillies, mm-hmm. who developed the what we know now know is plastic surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did it as a soldier um, while in the battlefields in World War I mm-hmm. and how that had affected the war and how that sort of changed history as we know it. And um, incidentally, there's there's a book now being written and released in June from a British author coming out soon. And it was one of those things where I, it's completely not <laughs> what I write. The, mm-hmm. the the structure of the language and the dialect is com- is completely different from what I'm used to writing because it's kind of almost uh, Downton Abbey esque sort of sure you know, early 1900s English yeah. and so I could that never do that <laughs> I could never oh. that would be so difficult right. for me but yeah anyway that's that's amazing 
it was tough. It was, it was, but I think that's what I appreciate about the challenge itself. And it was all yeah. drama-esque, you know, and it, it had some gory stuff in there about, you know, facial scars and, and, and reconstruction yeah. and surgery, but it was a really, mm-hmm. it's, for me, certainly, I feel like it's the strongest thing that I've written. However, mm-hmm. every exec I spoke to about it, and this is, this is the beauty of Hollywood, no matter yeah. how good you think it is, they were like, yeah, no one wants to make uh, period pieces right now. So you just, you know, stop sending it out don't don't worry about it no one's going to take it at the moment and it's, it's just sat there in a in a in a drawer waiting to go so uh, we'll see when the, the time is right for the market to take that on yeah that's awesome though um yeah i had a similar thing uh my first script suplex was um mm-hmm. it was the, well the first feature i'd ever finished and of course i'm talking now about a very polished version of it it's not what the first draft was but um i always thought that was going to be the one that popped for me because it was like sure. pretty well received uh the it was more well received than any of my other shit and then lo and behold my third feature which again way more polished now than it was uh bellyache is the one that Mm. got me a rep it won the script pipeline thing it's the one that we're really taking out right now so it's so funny how you think you think your your work is one way and then you get the powers that be being like no it's it's actually this one that has the most market potential and you know, that's why you choose reps that you trust, you know, because it's yeah. like you just that's, you need to choose someone that you would follow in a battle. It's so important having the right people behind you. They're not going to. I think you mentioned this in one of your previous podcasts. I think it was a David where you were like, there were some people that would approach you and say, we just want to take this out and, and throw it out there and, and just get your name flooded the market with your name, which is not the right approach. Yeah. And they just want to make a quick sale. There's some managers quote unquote uh-huh. managers that they just want to take it out there and make a quick sale with what you've got because they see the potential of making some money on it rather than having a clear strategy involved, a clear <clears throat> defined path for you as, as a writer and a, and a creator yep. and how to get your name out there properly. Yeah. Uh, I think that was David who was saying that. Yeah. 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 Um, he definitely seemed to have, uh, and as you do as well, like I'm learning so much about the industry from you two and feel a few other people I've talked to, but um which also David just had his script, his feature. Um, oh, what is it? What is it? Yeah. Option today. What is it called? Yeah. It's um, it starts with a C. Oh my gosh. I'm going to cut that part out. Cause I forgot. Hey y'all editing Andy here. That script is called Clementine by David L. Williams. It does start with a C, but anyway, <laughs> David, yeah, David got his script option today. Uh, really big deal. So yeah. congrats, man. Cause I have a feeling you're going to listen to this at some point. So uh, big Definitely. shout out to you, man. Everybody loves David. He's awesome. Uh, such a such a cool thing and couldn't happen to a better guy. So, uh, Nabil, what's a recent accomplishment that you are proud of? It could be screenwriting related. It could just be in life. Well, I bought a PlayStation 5 after waiting a year and a half. So that's a Damn. absolutely... I'm just so over the moon about the situation. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to play it. It's been sat there for a week. I haven't had a chance to get on it. Oh, you're uh, crazy, man. I would have been the first <laughs> minute, but no, that's awesome. Working hard, I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my, I think my the accomplishments right now is that I'm, I've just finished my third script of the year, as in finished off while starting from the previous year. Sure. So I was juggling three new, new projects at the same time, yeah. just, adding the touches to it that's all gone to my reps i'm juggling awesome, about five plates at the moment spinning five plates with mm-hmm. different various uh execs and different levels of um uh, development on them so sure. again trying to keep my fingers in all the pies i'm trying to 
keep keep this momentum of having multiple projects and, and pushing them in different directions, trying to get them made and, and all those sorts of things. So just doing that for me, I'm, I'm really proud that I've been able to keep that going for so long while being in lockdown, while having all the things that have been happening around us in the world. And mm-hmm. I think uh, hopefully, hopefully all that hard work will pay off, but you never know. Yeah, man, that's fantastic to be so busy. That's really good. That's awesome to <laughs> yeah. hear that. Um, Cause you know, uh, I think even in times of great stress, which I haven't experienced, you know, being that busy in our industry, uh, but I hope to, because sure. again, it's kind of that thing of nothing is ever promised, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you want to keep riding that wave while you can and just trying to put your best foot forward, do the best work you can. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's just amazing. And again, you know, having watched your career since, essentially your big break uh kind of watching from the sidelines it's just so cool to get an update on you know how things have gone in the past i guess now a little over two years right that's right yeah yeah so yeah yeah. super cool super inspiring i'm sure that everyone listening is going to be very inspired by your story because you took the route that a lot of us take of trying to play the contest game and now you're here and you're doing it so yeah super awesome uh, cool. You, so <clears throat> Nabil, I'm going to ask you now, what are a few mm-hmm. words of advice that you would give to your fellow screenwriters out there, especially to those who are just getting started? Yeah. Um, do as much research as possible. Learn as much about the, um, about the craft of screenwriting as you can mm-hmm. devour any information you can find online. Yep. There was so much on YouTube, on communities such as the screenwriting community we have uh, mm-hmm. and podcasts like this, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, go out there, learn, just just jump into this giant ocean of knowledge that's out there for free mm-hmm. and soak up as much as you can. Uh, in time, you'll find that you will get a lot of bad advice, but you'll also pick up a lot of good advice and you'll only figure out what's good or bad after you have started to write yourself, mm-hmm. which leads me to the next point is that when you do start writing, make sure that whatever you are writing, you are completely married to the project mm-hmm. because you're going to be stuck with it for a good part of uh, a quarter of a year at least. Yeah. So go for it, plan accordingly, um, put everything you have into it and make sure you finish it. And when you finish mm-hmm. it, you've accomplished something. And then when you've done that, write the next one and then the next one and then the next one. That's mm-hmm. what we can do. Um, so that, that's my advice. Yeah, make sure you're writing a story that you're passionate about. And going back to what you said about passion, too, um, you know, I would just say to writers who are just getting started or very early in their career, um, if you want to do this shit at a high level, um, like Nabil is doing, um, you have to be obsessed. You really have to be obsessed. Um, and that goes mm-hmm. for anything, you know, if you want to be the lead guitarist <clears throat> in a world touring band, you have to be obsessed with playing your guitar mm-hmm. and learning new ways to play it and learning how uh, new scales and how new notes go together. Yeah. Um, it goes the same for actors. You know, you will not meet mm-hmm. an actor who's doing it at a high level who isn't fucking obsessed with yep. the, the dream, chasing the dream, learning the craft. Um it's just like anything. If you want to do it, you got to put in your 10,000, 10,000 hours plus. Uh, yes. So yeah, be, become obsessed with your projects. You know, if you're, if you have what it takes, you're going to be thinking about your ideas all the time. 
to where it's interfering Absolutely. with your, the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, like, hey, could, I got to leave could, this could uh, this conversation real quick because I just had an idea <laughs> and I need to go type it in my phone real quick just to have it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There, there, were, there were times I'd be with friends sometimes. We'd be out and I'd be zoned out because I'm thinking about the story that I'm writing. Yeah. And they'd be like, hello? I'd be like, oh, sorry, I've just got lost in this. Because somebody will say something or I will see something on TV or I'll hear a lyric from a song or I will hear... A, a few words after that, the window, and I go, oh, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to do. Where does that fit into my story? And then I'll just get lost. And it happens in the shower. It happens, you know, when I'm on the tram to town, when I'm walking through the street. It, it happens all the time, and that's the obsession. Yeah. I could not agree more with what you said. It's so accurate. It's so right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's when you know you're a writer. You know, when yeah. you can't stop thinking about it. You cannot stop uh, you know, like you said, you're with a friend and a friend says something and you're like, that is a great line. I need to write that yeah. down. I need to steal that. Uh, basically being a writer is just, you'll never have a, a conversation that's off limits ever again. Like your friends and family will just have to understand that they're going to end up in your story at some point or another in yeah. one way or another, be it uh, something they said, be it their personality, be it a mannerism. But yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, Nabil, are there any projects mm -hmm. that you'd like to plug? I know you have Cherell, which is a short mm -hmm. proof of concept that can be found on your Twitter, the teaser can, uh, at Nabil right. Chowdhury. Uh, you have some things popping off that are in development. Uh, I know that yes. you can't talk about everything, but uh, is there mm -hmm. anything you want to plug right now? And if not, it's okay, too. I've got, that's fine. Yeah, no, I've, I've got like f five projects that are all wrapped up with execs in different production houses. And I don't talk about, I never really talk about my stuff on Twitter ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it's, that it's because no you're, you're kind of asked not to, or is it a personal preference? Cause uh, I know for me, it it's like a, a mix of, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. No, it's the same with you. It's, it's a mixture. Yeah. Like some people, some execs would say, and production houses would say, look, just don't say anything until we've got somebody attached or the attachment has been made official or whatever. And some of them, it's just me personally. I don't like to talk about things until they're done yeah. because we know at any moment those projects could fold and then yeah. you look like a bit of a clown by yeah. boasting about, oh, I've got this director attached. And yeah. I'm, I've been fortunate enough, I think before this podcast started, I said that I had a call last night where I was, I'm here in Melbourne the director's in Spain, his interpreter is in New York, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a huge director team, it's a massive thing, and mm -hmm. it's a project that I wrote, and it's going places, and it's doing all these wonderful things, but mm -hmm. what's the point talking about it? Because you know, in five minutes time, someone, someone, yeah, I don't fancy it anymore, it's finished, and then, and then you'd yeah. be done. Yeah. And so just keep it to myself until things are solid and, and, and announced, and, and then, mm -hmm. then it's better for you that way, and then you don't have to feel like a bit of a fool if it goes wrong. Yep. Yep. That's really what can it I just is. Plug this podcast. Can I, can I plug the podcast? Sure. Yeah. What's the name of the podcast? Your podcast. Can yeah. I plug this podcast? Yeah. Uh, of this course, is the yeah. Social Screenwriters podcast by Andy Compton. Um, this is the plug. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'm going to use that as a soundbite at some point. I'm going to steal that, put it in <laughs> another episode. No. Yeah. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, dude, all I can say is that I'm so, uh, it was such a pleasure to meet you finally. And that I am so happy and excited to see all of these things that are happening for you. And I cannot fucking wait. Literally, I can't wait 
to go see my first Nabil Chowdhury movie in a theater, uh, written or directed by either or whatever, any movie that came out of your brain, I cannot wait to go see it. Thank you, Andy, you're too kind. Thank you for the platform. Thank you for the conversation. It's been really cool to speak to you finally. And uh, yeah, this has been really great, man. I can't wait, likewise, can't wait to see you on the big screen as well. Uh, This has just been fantastic, so thanks so much. All right, y'all. Episode seven is in the books. That was a great episode. I want to thank Nabil for coming on and being so candid and uh, really opening up about what it's like to break into the industry and start working at a pro level. Um, I want to thank you guys for listening. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to donate if you want to at the Linktree link in our bio of our Instagram and Twitter at SocialWriterPod. If you want to say something nice on Twitter, totally tag us at SocialWriterPod and I will like it. I will say something back to that shit when I see it. Um... No, I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate all the support, everything. When I get on Twitter and someone says something nice about the podcast, it just makes my day. So I appreciate you. Um, we will be back in a week or two. I don't know. I'm I'm starting to debate doing these weekly, but I'm already just busy and my wedding gig starts up. I do videography for weddings and editing. And that starts back up in March, so I don't know what I'm doing, dude. I really don't. Uh, I don't want to do weddings for that much longer. I just want to. I want to make movies, but I don't get paid doing that. So uh, anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I'm debating doing them weekly. I don't know. We'll see. But I appreciate all the support. I love you guys. Be good to yourselves. Keep it real. Keep it chill. Take breaks when you need them. Take bathroom breaks when you need them. Drink water. Get eight hours of sleep. Watch your caffeine intake. Don't do drugs unless they're chill and fun. Uh, Take care, guys. I'll talk to you next time. The Social Screenwriters Podcast.